Hello, you're tuned in to the Witch Wavelength, a magical vibe in the form of music, ideas and practices, creations and conversations, all about living a magical life. I'm Sheena Cundy, author, singer-songwriter and Essex Witch. My co-host is Mr Ian Cundy, guitarist with Morrigan's Path, our band, recording engineer and producer of the podcast. Good afternoon, <laughs> Mr. Cundy. Oh, good afternoon. Um, <laughs> yeah, what a great afternoon it is. Yeah, good. So, it's a very hot afternoon. Well, I'd just like to apologise. If there's any background noises from sort of outside, um, we do apologise. But we've got all the windows open to try and let a bit of fresh oh, air God, in it's here. it's so hot. Um, as you can well imagine, sort of studios sort of tend to be a little bit um, sort of dead and closed in. But we've had to open the windows, I'm afraid. Yeah, we're having a... shouldn't complain, really. No, about not this complaining beautiful at all. British summer we're having. It's... Um, yeah, sunshine every day at the moment and um, top temperatures. Top temperatures, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we might we might even hear the ice cream man coming round in the oh, background in the minute. Stop it! <laughs> and I might have to disappear. <laughs> you might have to. Well, you're going to have to disappear anyway because I'm I'm going to be talking to our our guest this week. So, Sheen, who have we got this week? This week, our guest is Victoria Rashke. Victoria is an author of a contemporary fantasy series called Voices of the Dead. She's also a publisher at A Thousand Volt Press. She's a fellow podcaster. Oh, nice Yes. Um, Victoria had me on her podcast only recently, and it's called The Witchlit Podcast. And... Yeah, we had a great conversation, and um, and so I thought, you know, blimey, we'll get her back. We'll get her on here. Yeah, It'd be great. And uh, and she also describes herself as a nosy Scorpio. Oh, really? Which I think is <laughs> always very intriguing. Um, nosy and Scorpios, I find very intriguing. So yeah, so without further ado, you can go off and get an ice cream, Ian, and. Um, I'll have a chat with Victoria. Okay, here we okay, go. Okay, here we are. Here's our chat. So, thanks for joining me, Victoria. It's really good uh, to to have you on the Witch Wavelength. And um, how does it feel being on the other side of the other side of the table, mm-hmm. so to speak? <laughs> it's a little weird. I was thinking yeah. this morning, like, oh, I need to prepare, and I was like, oh, I don't have anything. I need to prepare. That's weird. <laughs> So. No, and oh damn, Sheeta didn't send me any questions. <laughs> it's like oh, this will be off the cuff, so it'll be great. Yeah, yeah. I I I prefer to 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 wing it. Um, to be honest, I mean, I do. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I know you're ultra prepared, and you have all these wonderful questions, which I can remember you sent me last time, and I thought, Grant, blimey, you know, she's really <laughs> on it. Um, and I just have a basic skeleton outline. And then I tend to sort of cram it all in on the day that I'm going to speak to somebody. You know, I sort of look at their website. And um, I mean, I have started reading one of your books. So um, and I've been dipping in and out of your your cookbook, which I think is brilliant. Oh, Um, thank you. So I want to ask you about that later on. But first of all, my question to you, because obviously you've got your own podcast and mm-hmm. when did you start that? That was earlier on this year, wasn't it? Beginning of this year? Yeah. So we started interviews in November last year and then we started airing the episodes in January this year. So it's been, you know, it's been airing for about six months at this point. Yeah. So. And and what what led you to what led you to start a podcast? I had wanted to do it for a while. Um, so when I, I worked at uh, the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council many years ago now. And one of the projects that we had, I got to produce a podcast talking to people who did healthcare for, you know, houseless people. And I got to interview providers and it was just a great experience to talk to them. And, um, and then we did another series that was like, wait, like self-care series. We hired a woman, um, to do a series of podcasts, like on how to do, you know, chair yoga at your desk and how to do like self-massage and stuff like that, just to kind of help people de-stress. Cause as you can imagine, 
that field is a high stress field. Um, and that was several years ago. And I just kind of got addicted to podcasts around that time. Like I just, I listened to them a lot, like when I'm washing dishes or before I go to bed at night. And I was like, I really kind of want to do this. kind of want to do a podcast. And um, so I'm friends with um, Corey Thomas Hutchison, who does the new New World Witchery podcast. And he and I had talked, oh gosh, it's been four years now, maybe. I don't know. It was in the before times, you know, so it's hard to gauge when that was, but I had wanted to do a podcast and kind of like picked his brain about it. And he was like, well, just know it's a commitment, you know, know it's a commitment. And at the time I just had too much going on and I was trying to finish the book series and all this stuff. And, and then during the pandemic, I was finally like, I'm just going to do it. We're just going to do it. Let's do the podcast. Let's make it happen. So um, thankfully my partner, Kaifel was on board and he does all the editing. He did the logo for us. He loads everything up to the thing. So I, I really get guests, do the interviews, do the transcripts, kind of project manage. And he does the stuff that I hate to do. So, <laughs> so that was kind of it. But initially, oh, initially I wanted, I had this idea of, yeah, it, I wanted to do a podcast on kind of the last questions. Like I had this idea, actually I was going to call it death, sex, religion. And then I found out that NPR here in the States does one called death, sex and money. And I was like, okay, well I can't do that anymore. So now it's the little thing at the end of the podcast. Cause I was like, you know, the, the witch space, pagan podcasting space is pretty chock-a-block full of stuff. So I wanted something that was a little more niche. So I thought, well, let's talk about writing in that space. Cause at the time I didn't know about any, I mean, there are a couple I've noticed that now that there are more podcasts about, you know, specifically writing, but, um, that was the plan. And I just wanted to talk to people. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a genuine sort of interest in what makes people tick? Yeah. And especially writers, because I think, yeah. you know, as a writer, I'm sure you know this too, like you just kind of always wonder how other people make this insanity work. It's like, <laughs> you know, why, why would you choose to torture yourself this particular oh, way? You know, and how do, how do you make that work in your life, you know, with families and jobs and all of that. And on top of that, to be, you know, a magical practitioner of some sort, and how do you gauge that? But I've also talked to fiction writers, in addition to you who do both, people who just write fiction that involves magic. And most of them wind up being kind of magic adjacent. Like they they either consider themselves pagan or they're very involved in that community or they're kind of like agnostic about it. But, you know, it's not, um, it's not separate from their writing so far. Yeah. I, haven't inter I haven't interviewed... A fiction author yet who's just like no this is just fiction so yeah because I think that most witches that I've talked to or pagans in general um it's it's their lives isn't it it's part of our lives um our mm -hmm. practice is is becomes you know we integrate it we weave it in and out of our lives and and the same goes for the writing I mean I know about you but my my writing is an expression of my of my practice my magical path mm -hmm. yeah. um so talking about magical paths, how did mm -hmm. yours start? Tell us about how the magic began with Victoria. Yeah. So I grew up in the boonies in East Tennessee, so Appalachia for folks outside the US who don't know areas of the country. Uh, and my mom's family is Appalachian. And so I just grew up with a lot of like family folk tales and, you know, like things that they would never have called magic or witchcraft, you know, at all, like wart, taking your wart, buying your warts from you and like weird little things like that. So I think I was never not interested in it. Like, I just remember like we had those, it's like a series from like time life of like UFOs and wizards and, you know, like that was in our house and, you know, it was just never, it was never something that I didn't have an interest in, but I really didn't like find it and start practicing until I was in college. And then I just wound up um, in a group of, you know, like-minded people at the time it was all women or um, kind of like a women's spirituality is kind of how I came into it initially, but that was a little too woo for me, I guess. 
<laughs> like I, 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 you know, I joke about the fact that I'm a Scorpio because I am so stereotypical Scorpio in many ways. Um, but yeah, I just wanted something that looked at a little bit more of the range of human expression that wasn't quite so only love and light. I was like, oh, we have dark sides too kind of thing. And I think part of that came from being a writer. Like I, I started writing like when I was in fifth grade. So it, um, you know, I, I don't think that you, most people who are writers are also keen observers of human nature. And, you know, I know humans aren't all fluffy and sweet. So. Yeah. I, do, I think witches are like that as well. Don't you? Mm -hmm. I think that yeah. there are a lot of witches that are just, you know, it's uh, the stereotypical sort of, glitter and fairy dust and long bell sleeves and you know swishing <laughs> cloaks um is yeah <laughs> is it has become very oh, i don't know um yeah there there are there are obviously some people that kind of believe in that kind of glamour um um and the sensationalized um idea of the witch but so what how would you describe yourself as a witch victoria um, I would say, you know, this is an evolving thing. Um, mm. but I would say now I would consider myself mostly an animist, which, okay. Like, I think, you know, the world is alive, you know, I, I want to believe in like the re-enchantment of the world. And, and I don't know that re-enchantment is even accurate. I think we just forgot it was enchanted. You know, I think we forget when we're kids that we're so close to that. And then we get to be adults or get older and you're like oh you're supposed to put those childish things away and yet all of that magic is still there yeah. um but you know i don't have like a like my daily practice mostly is around ancestors and then some deity work um but you know with saying that about deities i would say i'm also pretty agnostic on that front like i'm i'm not um I'm not a zealot in any of my beliefs. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I am a little skeptical at heart and I'm a little bit of an, I want to say a lot agnostic, but um, it works for me. And I, you know, I have said in a, another interview at another time that um, I think for me, my practice is really about keeping myself in some form of stasis. Like it's mm. grounding, but it's also like, Hey, come back from the dark place because it's real easy for me to go there. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So I think it's, it's a little bit of that. It's like, you know, as much as I'm interested in that part of things as a writer, as a witch, everything, I can't live there. I can't live in that dark place. So this, this kind of enchanted idea of the world helps me remember that, you know, things are beautiful too. It's not all doom and gloom though. Sometimes lately it may feel like that, that, you know, there are really beautiful things out there too. So I think yeah. it, it's really, for me, it's a balance of keeping myself in balance yeah um, that's that's a really good explanation actually I mean that's probably the way I feel about my <laughs> my practice as well as it's it's all about balance isn't it really um and the wonderful thing I think about witchcraft and and the different sort of paths and and traditions and beliefs and whatever and and like when you get to you know women of a certain age like us um we've established our own path our own you know we walked our own way and like as you said we're we're always learning it never stops um mm -hmm. but it just becomes a path that i mean i was writing about this today actually in the book that i'm writing at the moment and i was saying that you know um it to me it's a it's a it's a lifestyle it's a healing lifestyle um and if i become if I get knocked off center for whatever reason then I have to use every tool in the book that I know of to get me back on track and centered and grounded mm -hmm. and it's always to 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 work on some part of healing myself you know and you were talking about deities um just a minute ago mm -hmm. I wonder if we you and I both got the same sort of kind of angle on that as well because um, what did you mean by agnostic about, about the deities? I mean, I, I invoke them in my work, Okay. but I, you know, and people are like, are you a hard polytheist? Are you a soft polytheist? I'm like, well, I don't know. 
like I, I, I don't think about it in those terms as much, which I guess is a little bit of a cop out, but I mean, I went, when my son was little, we joined a Unitarian Universalist church because I wanted him growing up in the South of the U.S. to have some kind of religious teaching, you know, like some kind okay. of religious instruction yeah. and Unitarian Universalists are, you know, very ecumenical in that we'll give it all to you. You know, there's pagans, there's Jewish people, there's Christian background, there's Buddhist, you know, everybody's there together. So he got a little bit of everything. And one of the things from their tradition is that the same light shines through many windows. So there is this like idea of the way that we interpret deity is the window we look through that it's all the same, but Mm. it's culturally, you know, culturally, personally, that window you look through, that's what deity is. And so I like that idea, but I'm even agnostic about that. I mean, who am I to say that, you know, like Dionysus is not an actual deity who will smite you if you say something bad about him? Like, I don't know. Um, And I don't feel like I need to know, too. Like, I I don't, um, I don't have a truth. I have a lot of truth seeking impulses, but about that one, I'm like, I just don't think we get to know. So it's it's a very personal thing, isn't it? Witchcraft. It's a very mm-hmm. well any faith. I think any spiritual faith is a very yeah. a very personal thing. Um, so yeah, so that was that was interesting to me to to find out what what kind of witch, how you would describe yourself, and um, I mean, are, are there any sort of practices that you daily practices that you weave into your your life? So almost to the almost to the point where you don't even think about it you know it's just natural to you yeah I have a couple I have like a morning one and a night one that no matter what happens those usually happen and so in the morning one um when I make coffee I have an ancestor altar and so I make a little shot glass of coffee for them and they get coffee in the morning we have a little chat and like I said I don't know if they're really listening if that if anybody's paying attention but it makes me feel better so um, I do that every morning and then at night um, before I go to sleep I have kind of like kind of that invoking of the deities like I there's like I do have a few favorites and um, I kind of just say a little word about them or to them or who knows that they're listening and I think that probably is a holdover from you know growing up in a Christian household and you know prayers before bed kind of thing it's it's probably like a continuation of that but it's very calming and it kind of closes out my day and yeah. I am a terrible sleeper. So it's also become like a signal for me that the day is over. Now it's time to go to sleep. So, um, yeah, I'm just a horrible insomniac. So oh, it, it gives me, it gives a close to my day. So, yeah. So how do you, how do you switch off? If you, if you find it difficult to sleep, how do you, do you, mm-hmm. what do you do to chill out, to relax? That that helps that kind of going I usually I read at night or I listen to a podcast and um the thing (laughs) I'm almost embarrassed to admit this but I I have an iPad and I have a coloring like an adult coloring app on my iPad so I'll listen to a podcast and I'll do that which is not you know like generative creative in any way but it's very calming um and so I, you know, I'll listen to like a podcast and do that. And then I'll have my prayers and then I'll go to sleep. And sometimes it works and I go to sleep and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, I'm doom scrolling at one o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> just yeah. usually it works and better now, like now that it's really become like, this is what happens every night. Getting in that routine has really helped. And I, I do sleep better than I used to. So do you find that um how are you influenced by the phases of the moon because i had to look at i had to look at my phone before we came on uh just to sit yeah. and remind myself what the phases of the moon what the phase of the moon is at the moment and it's dark moon isn't it we're coming into dark mm-hmm. moon yeah it's tuesday and on thursday we've got the new moon so we're coming into that dark dark moon phase how does the dark moon affect you so this is more i think i am more in tune with dark moon and part of that probably is because the deity that I most, I guess, align with is Morana, which is the Slovenian version of Marzana. So kind of like the the dark goddess of Slavic history, which a lot of scholars think is probably an aspect of Hecate, oh, you know, okay. pulled into yeah. Slavic. We just know so little bit about Slavic practice because so much of it was not written down or, pre, you know, a lot of that pre-Christian stuff we just don't know about. 
but and so I kind of associate her with the dark moon and so that's the time like I feel most in my witchiness I guess yeah if I if I if I want to do spell work or something like that it's usually around the dark moon um and though like for new moon stuff I always feel like that's a more generative time which is kind of opposite I think of what most people think is the new moon is the close or the full moon is the close out but to me that's when I kind of I have so much like static energy during the full moon that so that's the time if I have you know a lot of like hardcore spell work I'll usually do it on the full moon and then dark moon is more like divination and quieter kind of things so yeah I was going to ask you about div- divination actually um because mm-hmm. I I've been reading your your renegade tea cookbook and yeah. I was looking at the back and about the tea leaves and and the witch mm-hmm. bottle and I thought oh okay so um so what do you what do you delve into what 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 kind of divination practices do you yeah so my main one is with the oracle deck um it's a tiny little deck it's um actually uh this deck done by deviant moon that's um mildred what is her name mildred pierce's pocket oracle and so it's just like one-off images of like you know a key fire a tree you know these kind of things i use that a lot and then i also have a set of runes um that i don't feel proficient with but i feel connected to i i have a lot of nordic european ancestry i mean my last name is german my mother my father's mother was swedish you know so i have a lot of that on on my dad's side and um so I kind of wanted to connect to that a little bit but I'm a little hesitant about Nordic paganism and then I do have like the sortilage like in the renegade tea cookbook I have a bag of like weirdly collected trinkets and I use it kind of like you know if I do occasionally I'll do tarot but I mostly do oracle cards and if I just can't really figure out what the thing is I'll kind of throw those on top of the cards to see if I can get some clarity about something um but I don't use them as often as I used to I mostly just use the cards and the runes so yeah do you do you um do divination for anybody else or just for yourself mostly for myself occasionally I you know like around the new like I occasionally ask my kids they're um believers but not practitioners I like to say you know they're belief adjacent and so I'll ask if there's anything and I'll send him the card reading, you know, so occasionally I do stuff for that. Um, and occasionally a friend will ask, but that's pretty rare. I've done public readings one, exactly one time, um, right before the pandemic, I did a fundraiser and did, you know, like free readings for this fundraiser, but it's mostly just for me. Yeah. I would probably be willing to do a public fundraiser. It was really fun. I don't know that I would feel comfortable taking money directly but like for a fundraiser setup that was pretty cool to do that um but I enjoyed it yeah it was it was pretty cool but yeah I I it's pretty a personal practice so unless it's somebody I know or in this kind of context removed from that I don't know that I would read for other people very often yeah now let's get on to your writing because you are a writer and I know that um you do that's your main would you say that's your main occupation your main vocation in life yeah I mean I I <laughs> I laugh because yes but right now I'm mostly doing other things <laughs> oh so, but I am trying to finish I, yeah I am trying to finish a book so that I've been working on since before the pandemic started um and it's you know I'm about 60,000 words in so it's getting close um I tend to write short like around 80,000 words so I know I'm getting close to the end but um that yeah I would it's what I aspire to be as a full-time writer but you know you gotta put food on the table too so there's other things that happen so do you have other work as well then apart from writing do you have another yeah, like, so day I, job? Um, it were. Yeah. Well, I have a small day job. I have a contract job that's 10, 15, 20 hours a week, depending on the week. Okay. Um, that I that I work with a nonprofit that I do some data stuff for them. Um so I do that. And they're actually in Mississippi, which is, you know, across the United States from where I am in California. But I worked with them on a project a few years ago. So 
that's kind of how I got ripped into that. And then I had another contract like that, a bigger one that I dropped when I started the podcast. Cause I was like, this is too much. Um, so I do the podcast and then my husband and I own a tiny publishing house. Um, we're going to start publishing that we, when I got the rights back to my books, we created that and then, um, start publishing my stuff that we're going to start publishing other people this year. We've signed three books. okay that's that's interesting so So your husband your husband is um is kind of into into the book world as well then yeah he actually when um ingram moved into print on demand he uh got some work with them we lived in nashville tennessee in the time where ingram was one of their big print facilities is in is right outside nashville and um he got some work with them helping I guess migrate books to digital format for print on demand. So, and he redid covers and stuff like that. And then he worked for another small press in Nashville to do covers and book layout for them. So he was kind of already in that world. And so when we decided to take it on ourselves, he was like, yeah, we can do this. So we do it. (laughs) Well, yeah, it sounds like a good combination. Good combination. Yeah, and he's a graphic designer, so oh, he can do covers. You know, I mean, you're like set so for life, it's, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, if I could only, you know, if I could get my cat to do my editing, I'd be set totally. So, <laughs> so who does your editing? Um, so I have I, I work with this woman Jennifer. Who she I pay her, and she does the editing for me. She's edited all of the books that have come out. So all the books you've seen, she did. And then um, she's actually going to work with us on some project stuff too for other authors. But um, she actually came out of editing like in the news world and journalism. So she's a stickler, which is great for me because I tend to wax poetic and am the queen of the comma splice. So she's um, <laughs> she's great about keeping me keeping me in line. But she's also just she has such a good eye. Like um, in the series. You know, there's a lot of Slovenian words, there's a lot of Italian, there's some German that people speak at different points in the thing. And she like checked it and made sure it was correct for me. Like she, she didn't just like kind of shirk off. So she made sure all that stuff was true. That's great. And did a little fact checking because she's, you know, in that journalism world. So there's a little, she did a little fact checking too. So if you've got somebody like that, who's thorough and let's face it, an editor needs to be, doesn't it really? Because you're relying on them to pick up those, those things that you miss. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I've got a very I've worked good with a developmental editor too in the past for the first book, especially I worked with a developmental editor. Um, and she was great. Um, <laughs> my brief to her was, I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So let's just make sure I'm not embarrassing myself. Yeah. So in this next book, when I get it finished, I'm probably going to work with a developmental editor first, just because, um, I wanted to, uh, it's going to be the anchor for a new series. So I really want someone to take a look at it and make sure all the bones okay. are there. So. so this is a new, a new series. So mm-hmm. you've got Voices of the Dead, haven't you? Where you've got your yeah. four books in that series. So this mm-hmm. is a new one, your late, your, the book you're writing at the moment. Yeah. So new series, there is one character that kind of crosses over from okay. the Voices of the Dead universe. Um, I, I, I laugh about the universe like marvel universe um the voices of the dead universe um and then it later in the series i suspect there will be a bigger connection between the two series there'll be a run-in with those more of those characters so yeah and and obviously you've you've written more fiction your your mm-hmm. cookbook is is non-fiction would you what do you prefer do you, do you can you see yourself doing more non-fiction or do you yeah. stick to the fiction what do you think yeah i mean the cookbook is non-fiction but it really is the companion piece to the yes i know yeah thing. and i and i worked as a caterer you know and i taught culinary school for years so like i had a background in that so it came pretty easily, but, um, I do have an idea for a nonfiction book. Um, I, I've kind of started to work on it, but I'm really like kind of keeping that in check until I can get this novel finished. And then, cause it does involve some research that would involve some travel. And obviously that's not really been plausible, especially it's, yeah. it involves some European travel, which for Americans is difficult right now, just cause travel is a nightmare. So I don't know when that's going to happen, um, but I, some of the American travel for it already happened. Like I really started researching it a couple of years ago. So um, I would, 
I would like to get that out the door eventually. And I thought about shopping it to a traditional publisher, but it's, I might do that, but it's pretty niche. So we'll see. Oh, what you've happens. got me intrigued now. Come on, you're going to have to tell us what it is. What I can tell you, I, I will share a tiny bit. It involves okay. like all of the witch museums. Oh, wow. So nice. like different witchcraft museums. Okay. Yeah. Well, you'd have to come to England then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's my yeah. big trip I really need to make. I've seen a lot of other ones in the United States, and there's one in Slovenia that I've been to, but um, I really need to get to Bow Castle. That's it, Boz Castle, yeah. And um, Colchester, which is not far from where I am in Essex, Mm -hmm. we've got a witchcraft um, sort of exhibition going on at the moment that's been contributed by Boz Castle. Oh, nice. um, Because we've got a a castle in Colchester Mm -hmm. where the witches were, you know, incarcerated um, and we have a plaque outside in the grounds you know Essex is is steeped in in witchy history so you yeah. must come to Essex yes no it is on my list I, I, yeah. um, and I, I wish I mean there's been ones that have happened over the pandemic or right before the pandemic that I didn't get to see I know there was one at the Bodleian they did a big witchcraft um like manuscripts and grimoires and kind of stuff there I think I want to say it was in 2020 because it was right when things kind of went haywire but there's been some other ones I, I missed in the UK that I would really have liked to have seen. So Yeah. Have you been to Salem? I have been to Salem multiple Ooh, times. Tell us about Salem. I'd so, like to know um, about that. Yeah. So my son and his partner moved to Maine, which is very yeah. close to Salem. So I've had the opportunity. Well, we went a number of years ago. We just drove through and kind of did the quick and dirty tour. Like we went to the Witch Museum and a couple other places. Um, but since he's moved there, I've been back a couple of times. And it's... Salem, I think, is complicated because the people who were executed were not witches. You know, they were just scapegoats. And they, you know, though Salem has taken on this moniker of witch city, like really what happened was an atrocity and a, you know, miscarriage of justice. So, you know, the what the Salem mythology is based on has very little to do with modern witchcraft, but they've become kind of interwoven in the tourism part of Salem. Yeah. So some of it is feels a little Disneyfied, um, but I think that the community there really has in the last few years embraced, you know, the understanding that what happened was an atrocity. These people were not witches. They were, you know, largely Puritan Christians who just got on the wrong side of somebody um, in a situation that, you know, happened because of probably because they all had to stick up their butt about everything being puritans and you know the only way to describe things that didn't make sense to them was to say somebody was doing magic against them and so that was weird and the the other part like i i haven't been back to salem since i learned this but i've been doing a lot of genealogical research just for myself but also kind of part of my ancestor practice of just who are these people that you know why am i here who are these people that managed to create and create me um and i learned in the a couple months ago now that um, I'm a direct descendant of Orlando Bagley, who is a constable in Amesbury, Massachusetts, who took uh, Susanna Martin, who was one of the first people executed, to, was in, was responsible for taking her from Amesbury to Salem Village to be executed. So he was basically on the, you know, he was part of that miscarriage of justice. So mm-hmm. I am not descended from the witches they couldn't hang. I'm descended from the people who hung them. The witch finders. Yeah. So oh, that wow. was pretty, that was pretty eye opening. I mean, it's like, he's like my 13th great grandfather, you know, he's pretty far wow. back there. But um, yeah, that was kind of sobering to think about that. And not that I, you know, feel responsible for what he did. Like I no, you know, obviously was not no. alive or anything, but it is interesting because I've always had this weird obsession with Salem. I went to see a production of the Crucible when I was like 11 or 12. Of, um, oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I was too young to really get that it was a metaphor for, you know, McCarthyism in the United States. Like, I didn't really get that that was that it was talking about something else. I just thought it was talking about witches and not believing women, you know, so I've always kind of been obsessed with it. But um, yeah, it's it's a complicated place. 
And I, and that, I think part of wanting to do this book is kind of, I don't, I, there have been a lot of other academic and popular books about that dichotomy in Salem. So that's not really the focus of the book, but Salem would be part of it. So yeah. I think that's, that's a, that could be a book all by itself, just Salem by itself and the complications there could be a thing all by itself, but. Yeah. But to actually delve into, to, to want to really trace back and go back through your ancestry. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I must admit, I, I'm beginning to sort of feel like that. Maybe I'm not so interested in sort of my own personal line, but I mm. think, you know, you get to a point where you just think, well, where, you know, what is the the native tradition mm -hmm. of these lands, you know, yeah. that I was born in? Um, and... Um, as much as we can go through the history books, there's there seems to be big question marks over everything, really, doesn't mm -hmm. there? Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably where the, the the lovely thing about your like with your ancestral practice, um, it doesn't matter then, does it? Because you you know it's not as if you have to go through the right you know take the right um, signpost on a map and make sure that you end up in the right place because in when you're working in between the worlds, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Right. You work with intention, yeah. you work with the idea that you mm. want to connect and that's what you do, you know. Um, yeah. And I always but, knew that my mom's father's family came from England, but I never knew where. Oh, okay. And so finding that out, like the, the pre-Salem family came from Lancashire. Oh, really? So yeah. So from Preston, they're from okay. Preston originally. And then uh, one of them apparently had a, a small dalliance in um, London that didn't work out because the next generation came back to Preston. So I think it didn't, I think his time in London was not profitable. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, you have to come over here then, Victoria. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I've been, I've been to London a couple of times, but oh, not much out of London. I, no. I went one trip. We, we were only in London. And then the next time I came, we were in London and then we did go like on a day trip to Stonehenge and Bath. And then, um, we went to Glasgow to see friends on that trip. So I've seen very limited, mostly urban UK. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so let's just sort of rewind a little bit back to the, um, <laughs> the last couple of years um, of the pandemic. How did that affect you? What, how did it affect your, your practice, your writing, your life? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a big question, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's a big question. I'll start with <laughs> writing. Um, so I had I was wrapping up a book that came out um in February of 2020. Hmm. So that was really weird. I had planned to do like a little book tour kind of around where I was, and that didn't really happen. We launched the book with my local bookstore. We did an online thing, and a few people came, including my ex-husband, which was kind of interesting. Um, so that was kind of cool. I mean, he's in Canada. I we're we're friendly, so it wasn't like weird or stalker or anything. But I was just, you know, it would have never happened had the pandemic not happened, and we moved to online stuff. Um, so that launched, and it didn't do as well as some of the other books had done. And I really, you know, it was just a complicated time to be selling books, and you know, like I didn't really get to do the promotion that I wanted to do for that book, and then I had kind of started this novel I'm on now, but I wanted to do, I just had a lot of people would say, Hey, you know, I read your books and I'm hungry. Like I want the recipe for these brownies, you know, I want, <laughs> I want these things. And so I, it was during the pandemic and I was like, I don't really know what to do with myself. So let's do this. We'll do a cookbook, a companion book. Um, so I bless all of the people who recipe tested for me because, you know, some stuff was really hard to find during the pandemic flour was, you know, difficult to find things like that. So I had just had a bunch of friends who were, and, you know, some strangers that, that I knew through my newsletter agreed to test recipes and we did all that. Um, my son and his partner tested a handful of recipes. They've both worked in the food industry. So they did a bunch. Um, so it's really a family project. My niece, um, did the illustrations for the inside of the book. Kaifel did the cover, you know, it was a, a family project that kept me a little bit sane during yeah. the, the early part of the pandemic. We didn't have the same level of lockdown that you all had in the UK, but, um, you know, I, 
I have asthma. You know, I, I, when we didn't know as much as we know now, I was really worried about getting it. So I was really paranoid about being around other people. And, um, so that was a pretty good project. And then that launched. And I, I mean, I, I will be really honest. I didn't, it was a passion project. Like I didn't expect it to go, Hey, wire, but we sold a lot of books in the beginning. I mean, it's kind of tampered off now, but we did, you know, have a pretty good launch with that one. Um, if anybody wants one, I still have a ton of signed copies in my closet. <laughs> I'd be happy to ship you. Um, but it was, it was good. And I, it was fun to do, um, to really look at the books that I'd written in a very different way and to create this little, you know, story around the cafe itself in the book. And um, I can't remember how the idea to add the witchy stuff at the end came up. But I think it was this idea that spells and recipes are interchangeable. And so we added some stuff at the end to kind of go with that. So that's where the witch bottle and, you know, Joe's aunt's way to protect your apartment kind of thing came up. Um, Yeah. So that was good. I think, you know, personally, during the pandemic, it's been really weird. Um, My kids moved in with us. My son and his partner were living with us already. Um, they were saving up money <clears throat> to move to Maine, which they did eventually during the pandemic. Um, and my husband's daughter, my bonus daughter lost one of her jobs and she was kind of in between apartments. So her other job let her work remotely. So she was in Atlanta and she came and stayed with us. So the first few months of the pandemic, our kids were all there, which was great. You know, I, yeah. we took turns making dinner and we all cook, you know, so we all took turns making dinner. And we would get kind of experimental with what we could find. Cause again, sometimes groceries were difficult to source certain ingredients. Um, and then my bonus started moving back to Atlanta. Her new job started, you know, wanting her back in the office and she moved. And then my son and his partner were like, if we're going to, they both lost their job. So they were like, if we have to look for new jobs, we might as well look in Maine. So they both got jobs in Maine and they moved to Maine. Um, in the middle of that so that kind of went from like being an empty nester all over again so yeah. that was yeah I mean I do not blame them and if they ever listen to this podcast I don't want them to feel guilty but I did have a dark moment of the pandemic after everybody moved out I just kind of hit a bottom a little bit um and it got it got better I think it was just that I really it almost been like a holiday atmosphere to have them yes. there and then that and yeah. then they were gone and then you know that was that part. And then my husband got a new job and we moved to California in the middle of the pandemic. Wow. So we did a cross country move in the middle of, you know, we had just, you know, vaccines had just come out. It was before Delta hit. So we were in this, like that sweet moment where we thought, oh, this is over. You know, we're going to be vaccinated. We're going to be fine. Like Packers came, you know, his, his company paid to move us. So Packers came to the house. They packed everything in one day. They put it on a truck. We stayed at a hotel for a couple nights. And then we drove across country with our cat in the heat of summer. Like it was 115 degrees. Oh my like God. 41, 42 in the desert driving across, you know, um, New Mexico and Arizona and into California. It was really hot with a 14 year old cat. Oh, so we, didn't, we didn't get to do a lot of sightseeing, but it was, you know, it was, it was part of the country I'd never really seen. So that was nice. And, but then we got to California and Delta hit. So like everything was starting to open and everything closed back down. Closed back down and again. so I've been in California a year and I still don't really feel like I live here because I really haven't been able to, like every time I kind of think, oh, we're out of the woods and can kind of reintegrate, things fall apart again. So I haven't really found my people here yet you know I haven't really been able to do a lot of that stuff but I love we love going to the ocean we go see the redwoods you know we do a lot of outdoor stuff but we haven't really like I'm a joiner my husband gives me a lot of crap about it but um you know I usually will find some kind of local thing to get involved with and and do that when we've moved a lot and um I haven't been able to do that because people aren't meeting in person and meeting new people online in a group is not very effective, I think. So. No. Okay. So you're still not meeting in person physically over there then? Not, I mean, some, some groups are, they do some stuff outside, but a lot of stuff is still virtual. I think really? you know, California has, has taken the pandemic pretty seriously. So, okay. 
even though it's not lockdown situations, a lot of people are just aren't doing a lot of stuff in person. Yeah. It's, it's coming. I mean, I think this, we just kind of are in the falling edge of another wave of infections. Um, so I suspect as the summer drags on more stuff will kind of become in person again. So I'm hoping eventually I've had a couple of invitations to some pagan groups and, you know, it's just, it's like, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll do this and then something will happen and someone gets COVID and it can't happen. And, you know, so it's just. So what's next on the agenda for you, Victoria? What's, what's, I know, you know, none of us have got a crystal ball. Well, some of us might, we're witches, God's sake. <laughs> but yeah, how far ahead do you like to, do you like to look you know, are you, are you a sort of fly by the seat of your pants kind of girl or do you like to plan ahead quite, you know, what does that look like for you? A little bit of both. Like I, I like to have a little bit of a plan. Um, it doesn't always mean I'm going to follow it. Um, but a lot of times things kind of just, I have the thing I've, I've noticed about that I've learned about myself is I tend to ruminate on something for a while, like the podcast, like I thought about it for literally three years and then it finally happened. So sometimes it takes me a while to manifest things. So it's not like planning. I'm just baking it and it takes a while to happen. Um, yeah. So like the, I really want to finish the novel. Um, I'd hope to have it out by the end of the year. I'm guessing it's going to be early 2023. Um, I did um, submit a story to an anthology that it's a story kind of with Joe Wiley, who's the main character in the Voices of the Dead books, um, like an after the series is over, a little short story to an anthology that's going to come out in October. So I have a short story coming out this year and I submitted to another essay collection, like a pagan uh it's, I don't know if you know the new radio book that came out, I think in 2018, it's the same group of people. It's, um, so I submitted an essay to that, which I haven't heard back yet. And they said they'd let people know in August. I don't know if that's going to get picked up or not, but I did it. It was like one of those things where I was really hesitant, but I jumped in and went ahead and sent an essay for that. And then, you know, the podcasts we've, you know, I've got, um, interviews lined up to take us like into the new year like into January so um so that part I am pretty organized because I committed to reading the books of the people I interview so I had to like decide how that was going to look and um the reading takes up a lot of time the reading really takes up a lot of time so yeah but it's been good for me I've read books you know, some books I wouldn't have picked up necessarily, you know, either I didn't know the author already, or it just wasn't something I thought I would be interested in. Um, and then have wound up loving them. So like, I feel like I've just gotten to read a lot more broadly than I would have, which is really cool. Um, so that part has been great. And it's also kind of spurred me to like invite authors on that I really want to read their book and I want to talk to them. So then I have a reason to read the book that maybe has been sitting in my pile for too long. <laughs> so so that that's good to you yeah and I've just got I've gotten to talk to a lot of really interesting people and you know I know I don't know like how that's going to shake out like what the podcast is really going to manifest on its own like things have like we've gotten a couple people that want to publish with us from the podcast from conversations around the podcast so I think that's you know it's I kind of started the podcast and I think you and I talked about this when we talked before, I, I really don't like to give my, my money to Amazon and Facebook for advertising. And so I really was trying to find ways to get my name out there without, oh, buy, buy my book, buy my book, you know, smashing down your door and spending my dollars with people. I don't really appreciate their labor practices. And um, I thought, you know, content creation is kind of its own form of advertising. I don't talk about my books on the show. I mean, I don't talk about them directly on the show. We talk about writing. I don't really advertise my stuff on the show. Um, there's a little thing in the show notes at the end that you can find me if you want to check them out. Um, but, you know, to me, it was really about giving other writers an opportunity to talk about their work and promote their work 
And if I got to piggyback on that a little bit, that's great. Yeah. And I mean, our, our philosophy with the publishing house was, you know, we really wanted to give authors control of what the book looked like, you know, what, what they really want to do with the book. I mean, we don't have giant budget, so we can't do like big advertising campaigns and stuff. So we knew that, you know, really the onus is on the author to flog their book themselves. So they get a bigger cut with us than they would with a traditional publisher, because we're not going to do that work. They're going to do that work themselves. We're doing the part that most, you know, that most people either don't feel they have the technical expertise, although there are a lot of new tools out there that make publish self-publishing a lot easier, but we know how to do that. We have, you know, contact with editors and stuff like that. And so we pay for all that. Like there's no payments from the authors. We're not a vanity press. We publish it. It's print on demand. We do print on demand publishing. Um, so, you know, the reach of the book might be a little less, but everything you make, you're going to get to keep, you know, you're going to get to keep most yeah. of it. So. And what's your genre? What, what type of books are you publishing? So we're doing a little bit of everything, honestly. Um, so we publish my books my fiction right now that and that's the main thing that we've published but um the the two books that we've signed uh we signed a book with um Corey Thomas Hutchison and and Lane from New World Witchery so they're doing a book with us so that is a nonfiction witchy book that'll come out um hopefully later this year there's been some snags just with COVID and things like that and then we're also doing a book with Yvonne Abro um and their book is kind of about I mean, it's a, I would consider it a pagan book, but it's really about like what happens when you change traditions, like when you go from being a Christian to a pagan and oh, okay, of, yeah, uh, that experience of, of changing, you know, belief, beliefs. Um, and then we have also a book that's a, a work of fiction that has nothing to do with witches. That's uh, kind of a noir mystery set in the Caribbean. My husband is, is from Trinidad. And so it's actually his ex-wife. We're going to publish one of her books. Oh, really? um, and she just was shortlisted for the British women's fiction prize. So, wow. you know, we're like, <laughs> so it's, it's, nice. it's it kind of, it's not, um, it's not that book because that book is amazing. I mean, this book that I, that she's written for us, I think is also amazing, but it's more of a mystery type thing. So her, okay. her book for the women's literature prize was really what I would consider more traditional literary writing. Yeah. Um, that if anybody wants to read it, it's the bread, the devil need. It's an excellent book. Um, Lisa Allen Agostini. So. Okay. And what's yeah, your publishing so house called? Thousand Volt Press thousand volt press mm -hmm. okay, and it's I'll a make... play on our initials so k thousand and volt for victoria right so Kai have Volt's you got a website so it's a play on our names we do it's thousandvoltpress.com okay um you can find okay. us on instagram at thousand volt press yeah i'll make uh, sure those so... links are in the show notes yeah so yeah. and like i said we don't really have a formal like submission process on the website people should just get in touch with us if they're interested um we, we're pretty informal I mean we do very formal legal contract but the process of publishing is a little more informal um like I said our our philosophy is really we just want to publish the books we want to see in the world what's the now one more question what's the um I noticed <laughs> in your books that you talk about punk rock music is that mm -hmm. is that something that is that the sort of music that you it is a personal love. Like I, I love punk music. I grew up very rural, so I didn't really get to go to punk shows when I was a kid, you know, like at the age, that formative age, I really didn't get to go to shows till I was in college. And that was in the early nineties. So kind of a different yeah. punk scene. Um, but I love the music. I've always loved the music. I love the aesthetic, you know, and I really wanted a character because, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, a lot of people I know who were really into the punk scene <laughs> when we were younger have kind of become, you know, these, these aging punk rockers. And I kind of wanted to explore that with this character. And funnily enough, a lot of the people I know who either were punk musicians or were interested in punk or a lot of punk musicians I follow have really taken this shift and they're real into like Americana music, oh. which also has its own, you know, DIY aesthetic in a lot of ways. Um, so it's been interesting. And it's just like, you know, if that was, if that was your life, if you were really into punk rock when you were a kid, like how do, you know, what does 40 something look like for you? So that was kind of part of Joe's part of the creation yeah. of Joe. 
And my sister, when she read the book, she's like, are you Joe? And I was like, uh, <laughs> no, not in any way. We have some common traits because it's easy for me to write about somebody who has some common traits with me, but we are, I am not Joe. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've been with the same man for 20 years for one thing. <laughs> so, like, it's not the same as Joe at all. Okay. So. Is there, is there any, is, if there was a question that um, you could ask yourself, what would it be? Oh, wow. Like, I guess what I would want to talk yeah. about, maybe. Um, I don't know. I guess one of the things that I don't think anyone's asked me in an interview exactly is why I wrote that first oh, book. Now's your chance. Now's my chance. So the first book I wrote was actually a nonfiction memoir about when I lived in Slovenia. And I was 19, 20 when I was there. So it's kind of the same age Joe is when yeah. she shows up, you know, in, in Slovenia to start with. But um, like I just, it was a very formative time. I was pretty sheltered before that. I mean, I didn't think I was, but turns out I was. Um so like it was very eye-opening experience some of it not great I mean I'll be real honest not great things happened that year um and I learned a lot about me I learned a lot about people I learned some not great things about people but um it was very formative and when I finished the memoir I realized a it was too embarrassing to publish <laughs> like it's it's not a great piece of writing necessarily and also like some of those people who did bad things are still alive and maybe I don't want to write oh, that okay. book yet. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll just put that in a drawer and <laughs> maybe it'll never see the light of day, but I was still stuck on this idea of writing a book about kind of that time and what happened. And then I hadn't gotten a chance to go back to Slovenia. I had my son not too long after that. And he, about the time he graduated from high school, I w that was, I went back the year after he graduated from high school. So I hadn't been there in almost 20 years and things have really changed. You know, they went from communism under Tito while I was there. Like I was there when Slovenia gained its independence. I was there the year after. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to write about that transition about what it was like to be there then. And then them to kind of mature into this capitalist kind of approach thing. And so that was the thing I went to visit and I went, it was the, it was actually like in the book, the 2000th anniversary of the founding of Imona, which is the Roman city that Ljubljana is built on top of. And there was a tour around the city and I went to the little house where the murder happens. And, you know, it is a Roman house with the mosaic floors that you can look at and you can't go down on it. Um, but, you know, with the, the bricks and, you know, all of that, it's under a little canopy. And I just thought, what if somebody was murdered on that piece of floor? What would that, what happened on that piece of floor? What if it was a murder? I don't know why that came to me. I mean, who knows? But I literally started writing the book that night while I was still in Slovenia. So that was kind of where it came from. So all the things that happened on that trip, a lot of the places I went, um, kind of got wrapped into that. And then I have some really good friends there that I had met, you know, when I lived in Slovenia and they helped with research and were really kind of intricate weaving into the book that just helped with so much information. Um, you know, cause li even living someplace for a year as a foreigner, you really don't oh, know wow. everything. I mean, there's wow. just no way. So I just had thankfully access to people who are willing to share a lot of information. So and then it became an excuse to keep going back. <laughs> so, <laughs> Where can people find you, Victoria? Obviously, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Yeah. So information about my books is at victoriarashke.com. Rashke is hard to spell. So you can also get there with just readvictoria.com. Um, and you can find the podcast at witchlitpod.com. It's available. Is that weekly? It is weekly. Is that it comes weekly out on Wednesday. Podcast? Comes out on Wednesday every week, um, and that is available pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. If you have somewhere you listen to podcasts and you can't find us, let us know, and we'll see if we can add it. Um, but you can also listen directly on the website, like I said, at witchlitpod.com. Um, 
You can find our publishing house at thousandboltpress.com. There is a store there, so you can buy hard copies of my stuff right now and eventually other people's stuff. And those my stuff will be signed and the other authors will have book plates, signed book plates with those when those come out. Um, Because it's just hard to ship a bunch of books to have somebody sign them (laughs) somewhere else. But those are the places to find me. I am on social media. I pretty much don't do Facebook. You can find me there. I'm Victoria Rashke author on Facebook. Um, I posts come over there from Instagram. I don't really spend a lot of time on Facebook. I do post um, at Victoria Rashke, at Victoria underscore Rashke on Instagram and at Witchlit Pod. Um, and then I post a little bit on Twitter, but I mostly just read Doom Scroll on Twitter. I don't post a lot there. So yeah i i try to not spend a lot of time like you said on social media these days it's just um it's not good for my brain well thank you for thank you for coming on victoria it's been lovely chatting to you Yeah, and um yeah and i'm gonna be listening to all the rest of the episodes that i haven't listened to catching up on your witchlit pod and um yeah let me know when you come over to the uk definitely definitely yeah come to Essex nothing like having a local tour guide that's the best that's the best thing that's the best thing so exactly yeah and and I'll um I'll bear in mind also California on definitely yeah if you come to to San Francisco Bay Area hit us up um yeah take good care of yourself Victoria and um we'll speak again soon I'm sure yep sounds good okay bye-bye now bye I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as Victoria and I did um, having our conversation. I think we had a lot of fun. So, yeah, do tune in to the Witchlit podcast. I'll put links to the um, chat that Victoria and I had on her podcast. And, um, yeah, it's really worth checking out her podcast. She has some great guests. And, um, yeah, I think she's she's um, really up there with you know, talking to all the writers. I think she's quite brave because in having writer guests, it means she has to read all their books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is not a bad thing because they all, they all, they're all good guests. So that's great. But yeah, you can get all the info about Victoria and her publishing house and the podcast. I'll put all the links in the show notes and um, yeah, check her out. Yeah, just to say to you, the listener, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate um, your emails and, you know, getting in touch. It's really good to hear from you. Please share with any kindred spirits. It's always great if um, you get, you know, personally personally recommended by, by somebody. Um, so we'd love, you, we'd love that. Thank you. Any emails you can send to... Sheenakundi at gmail.com and all the links to the music and the books you'll see in the show notes. And uh, how about the, uh, have you got a course coming up though, Sheena? Oh, um, I have. You, you don't forget to mention that. Don't, don't forget, forget to, to mention, mention the course. Oh, hang on. It's the ice cream. Oh, I don't believe it. Oh my God. <laughs> As, if... <laughs> As if by magic. As if by magic. Anyway, tell <laughs> yes, us about it. Come this on. course I'm doing, I'm starting in in September. I think the first week is September the 10th. I'm doing a six-month course on, it's based on the Witch Wavelength, and it's called Your Magical Nature. It's all about tuning into natural wisdom for empowerment and healing. And I'm really looking forward to spending time in person with people in a physical space. It's in Essex, so it's in Munden in Essex. So if you're in the vicinity, um, do have a think about it because I think it will be really, really beneficial to anybody who wants to invest time and energy into themselves. And I think it would be really good to, you know, as a confidence booster and to benefit from all that, you know, the magical nature can do for you. So you can find all the info and a contact form, sign-up form for that on sheenacundy.com forward slash natural hyphen wisdom forward slash. Righty. God, that's good. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. Oh, you get me all excited. I think I might even sign up for it. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't be too much of a distraction, would I? 
I think you would be. Oh, all right. Okay. Never yeah. Mind. You can, uh, yeah. That, that, yeah, that's it, something I'm doing on my own. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, never mind. Well, you can come in with the guitar. I suppose we could do some music because I'm going to be including music and chanting and mantra yeah. in the course. So okay. perhaps I might I might um, drag you in one week to with your guitar and we can do a bit of music. That would be good, wouldn't it? Sounds like a plan. It sounds like a very yeah. good plan. Okay, anyway. so thank you for listening, everybody. And until next time, look after yourself. Sending lots of magic your way. And we'll speak again very soon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. What on earth are you doing, lady? What is that you're stewing? Don't stray far from the hearth place. Not while you are brewing. A little bit of this and a little bit of that is what you want now. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.